Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, this morning I'll be doing a reading from uh, the book of Psalms 98 uh, in its entirety. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel, and all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for the joy of the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. If you use social media at all, so that's many, but no, maybe not everyone here, uh, you may come across from time to time uh, a bit of a meme that, was, that says, you know, today I learned or today I realised or it's something about the premise of it being, today I discovered something that I didn't know. It's a little bit crazy. I never would have thought about this before. Uh, so today I'm actually going to give a few examples of what this might look like. I was today years old when I realised that if you replace the W in where, what, and when with a T, you get the answer. So where? There. What? That. When? Then. I was today years old when I realised this. I was today years old when I realised that the U-E-U-E -E in Q is silent. Because if you just had the letter Q there, you'd still say the exact same thing. Uh, I was today years old when I discovered that Cookie Monster's real name is Sid. It's true. Cookie Monster's name is actually Sid. I was today years old. Well, I wasn't, but many of you were. Uh, I was today years old when I realised that Lion King is just the plot of Hamlet. So if you go back, and it's true, if you go back and you actually watch The Lion King, and if you know the plot of Hamlet... It's actually just Hamlet with animals. <laughs> I, I was today years old when I realised that there is a bear in the Toblerone logo. If you can't see it, I don't know if my red light's going to work, but it's there in the middle. Go, go look at a Toblerone logo the next time you do it. There actually is a bear in the Toblerone logo. And so today, and my reason for this setup is not just because I actually want to share some fun things about today years old and learn things. Now, this next one may surprise you. In fact, you may have never even thought that this was possible. I was today years old when I realised that Joy to the World was not written to be a Christmas carol. I was today years old when I realised that Joy to the World was never intended to be a Christmas carol. 
And there are some important reasons why that matters that we're going to look at. Uh, today we wrap our series looking at carol theology. This is the fourth of our carols, looking at the theology behind the songs that we sing at Christmas time. And so today we're going to look at Joy to the World. Now, Joy to the World was written by a famous uh, music writer, a famous Christian hymn writer, uh, a guy by the name of Isaac Watts in 1719, so, you know, when I was just a little. little. Uh, and he, wrote it, he wrote over 750 hymns, so a very prolific hymn writer. Uh, if you remember, if you ever sang as a child, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, that's one of Isaac Watts's hymns, and there are many, many more that you probably know. Uh, for those of you who maybe grew up in the church or maybe were at church back when hymns were a bit more prevalent, uh, you will have known many of the ones that he sung. Now, the tune that we sing it to wasn't actually used until 1848. Uh, it was published by a composer by the name of Lau Mason. It's expected that the tune was actually created by someone else before then, but as we've said on some of our other weeks, back in the 1700s and 1800s, copyright wasn't a thing. You could grab someone else's tune, use it for your own music, and it wasn't a problem whatsoever. So this is not Lau Mason doing something dodgy. It's just what was done. Uh, and so basically he took someone else's tune, put it to the song Joy to the World, and that's the tune that we know it as today. But here's the kicker, and here's the thing that actually gives us the reason for why Joy to the World was written. Joy to the World was written as a poem. So it was a poem, it was not a song. And it was written about the second coming of Jesus. So when it was written, Joy to the World was a song that was actually written about the second coming of Jesus. It was a poetic reinterpretation of the psalm we just had read to us. So Psalm 98, but it was a poetic reinterpretation of that psalm from a New Testament perspective, looking towards the joy that will be experienced by people when Jesus returns. You see, Psalm 98, which you would have just heard, it's a triumphant psalm of praise. It's got joy and it expresses God's final redemption of Israel. And it talks about uh, calls to sing and to shout and to make music, that there should be a joyful noise. Because when Jesus returns, there will be great joy and great celebration amongst the people that know him as their Lord and Saviour. And so the original purpose of Joy to the World was to be a poetic interpretation from a New Testament perspective, looking at the return of Jesus. So as we go through the verses, uh, think about it through that lens as well as, as a Christmas lens, and you'll find that it actually brings a whole lot of depth to the song that you may have never realised before. For those of you who don't know Joy to the World, which is you know maybe a few of us, but probably not, uh, this is the first verse. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Uh, now you'll notice that the very first line says, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. And the reason why we can sing this at Christmas time is it's true. At Christmas, we do celebrate the arrival of the king. We do celebrate Jesus coming. 
But the reality is, is that when this was written, this was written to actually welcome in and celebrate the actual coming of Jesus to reign as king forever and ever and ever. It was a celebration of what it will be like when Jesus returns. And when he returns, let every heart prepare him. Uh, In Philippians 2 verse 9 to 11, we read the following. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, when Jesus returns, every knee will bow. When Jesus returns, every tongue will confess. When Jesus comes down from the clouds, you will see him. There will be no denying or debating if he's real or not. There will be no more questions about whether or not this is actually true. Now, what are the mechanics of someone seeing that all the way around the world? That's a question for a different day. I don't actually know how that works out exactly. But that is what this verse is speaking to. The the triumphant looking forward to that the heavens will sing, that nature will sing at the culmination of all time as the King of kings and the Lord of lords comes to reign. Verse 2 says this, Joy to the earth, the Saviour reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains, Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Uh, In Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, we find this. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. See, this second verse, once again, is singing about what it will be like when Jesus returns to reign. That as Jesus comes back, when it says let men, that doesn't mean males. Again, that's mankind. Back when you just used man for everything, which we've moved past. So this is saying, let everyone sing songs. Let everyone bring a joyful noise forth because the King of Kings is coming to reign. Let that be something that we're triumphant about, something that we celebrate. That the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. And let us sing with joy as we celebrate that reality. Uh, Verse 3 is where we actually get really quite interesting in terms of when we sing this as a Christmas carol. So the verse for this is this. No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He came to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. Now, what happens here is this is the verse that is cut by most churches. Most times when churches sing this song at Christmas, they go, yeah, but sin still reigns. Sin is still here. We can't say that sin and sorrow aren't growing because it's true. There is still sin in the world. Sorrow does still actually happen. We can't sing this because it's not true. 
And so many, if not most churches, no longer sing this verse at Christmas. And that's because this is singing about the second coming of Jesus. That when he does return, no more will sin reign, no more will sorrow grow. That when Jesus returns, every knee will bow, all eyes tears will be wiped away. No more will you have to worry about sorrow or pain or torment. That this verse is only accurate at the second coming of Jesus. See, in Genesis 3, it talks about the idea that the ground is cursed. That thorns and thistles are produced and work becomes hard. This is not reversed by Jesus' first coming. In fact, Jesus does very little about this. Now, Jesus comes and he heals and he brings some first fruits of the new kingdom. But he doesn't stop sin's reign. He doesn't stop sorrow's accord in this life. He doesn't make work any less hard. He doesn't restore things to the way they were to be. That is what happens when Jesus returns again. And so when, if you ever do sing this verse as a Christmas carol and you've often wondered, I'm not sure how this kind of fits. I'm not sure how this kind of works. It's because it doesn't. It actually doesn't work from a Christmas perspective. And so that is why many, if not most churches, no longer sing this verse at Christmas because it just doesn't seem to resonate with people's lived experience. And then we come into verse 4 and it says this, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders, wonders of his love. Uh, once again, we need to turn to the book of Revelation to, to fully grasp what's going on in this section. And so in Revelation chapter 21, verse 24 to 26, we find this. The nations will walk by its light. This is the, this is the, so just before this, the context is the city of God comes down from heaven to reside in the new earth. If you hear last week, we talked about the reality that we actually don't spend eternity in heaven. Now, in this life, as we pass away, the Bible teaches that we go to be with God in the current heaven and the current earth. But that when Jesus returns, the heaven and the earth pass away. What that means, again, there's a whole lot of things we could dig into that I'm sure we'll get to at another time. But there is a new heaven and a new earth. And the city of God, the new Jerusalem, comes down to earth to be with the people. So that's the city that's talking to this is the nations will walk by its light. That's the city because Jesus will be the light. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. Again, this makes sense when you have an understanding of a city from the perspective when this was written. When this was written, cities all were completely fenced in. They all had gates. They're all shut up so that you could have security, so you could have safety. And so that those who were outside, they would know that there were days that they couldn't come into the city. But in the eternal city, there'll be no need to have gates because there will never be a need to be unsafe. There will never be a time that the city is not open because it will be as it was meant to be. But there will be no more night there. The glory and honour of the nations 
will be brought into it. And so this verse in verse 4 is it sort of talks about him ruling the world with truth and grace. Now, yes, Jesus rules the world today. But he hasn't removed all of that which makes us unsafe. He hasn't removed all of that which makes this life a challenging place to be at times. Once again, this verse is reflecting on what it will be like when we stand in that eternal city and actually get to experience the pure rule and reign of our Lord and Saviour. The nations will just be like in awe and they'll recognise all nations will see Jesus as Lord and will see the wonders of his love, the glories of his righteousness. All of that comes to its fullness and fruition at the return of Christ. So as we sing this song coming into Christmas time, and as you think about this in the future, and in fact, every time you celebrate Christmas, the reality is that we celebrate Jesus' first coming. Sorry, one too far. We celebrate Jesus' first coming in light of Jesus' second coming. That if it wasn't for the promise and the reality that Jesus was going to return, if it wasn't for Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus coming as a child actually wouldn't be that important. That at all times when we celebrate Christmas, and Christmas is often, not always, but it's often a time of joy, a time of celebration, a, a time of presence, a time of family. And sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes it's not, and that's okay. But the reality is Christmas is only significant in light of Jesus' promise to return. That it only matters because of Jesus' death, resurrection, and promise to come back. And so as we celebrate Christmas and as we sing joy to the world, it is meant to draw our attention and our minds towards what is to come, what we have to look forward to. So I want to give you a few tips Tips of how to celebrate Christmas in light of our future hope. As you come up to Christmas, and if probably in this room we've got about 20 or 30 people, and we've probably got about 50 different experiences of Christmas because some people try and do three or four things on the same day, across the week, across the month. Some families celebrate Christmas this weekend because they're with the other family next weekend. Some people can't celebrate Christmas with their family because they're on the other side of the world. So you Skype or you video chat or all kinds of different things go on. How do we celebrate Christmas amongst all of this in light of our future hope? One of the first things to do, and it speaks to what I just said, is remember baby Jesus. Absolutely remember Jesus in the manger. Remember the shepherds coming. Celebrate the story of Jesus. But celebrate the risen Jesus. When we talk about Jesus being the reason for the season, yes, it is Jesus as a baby, but it's again in light of the reality that we know that Jesus will return. Christmas can be filled with hope, irrespective of your circumstances, irrespective of what loss you might have experienced, irrespective of what your family situation might be, irrespective of what challenges you might have as you come towards Christmas. Christmas can be celebrated with joy 
when we remember the risen Jesus. The second thing to do is find ways to appropriately encourage your family to ask the question, is my heart prepared for him? Christmas is a reminder every year of the story of Christmas, of the story of Jesus. It is an opportunity. Now, we don't all come from families where everyone knows Jesus. We don't all have every family member who celebrates and believes in that. And we don't want to be that family member who always you know, hones on about it every year to the point where your family doesn't actually want to be with you. So this is not go and pester them all day about this. But just look for little opportunities with your friends and family who may be far from Jesus, may not believe in Jesus, may not believe him to be true. And just look for little opportunities just to poke the bear a little bit, just a little bit, not too much. But to ask the question, what does Jesus mean to you? What about the story? What if the story of Christmas is true? What if Jesus really did come? What if the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords came down in the form of a child? What would it look like for you to even just consider it? Maybe you don't have to believe it. Maybe you don't have to say, yeah, that's the case. But what would it mean to you if it was true? Look for little ways to appropriately encourage your friends and family. Because if we believe in the first coming of Jesus, we believe in the second coming of Jesus. And we believe that the second coming could happen at any time. And it really is important for our friends and family to at least consider their position around the person of Jesus. The third thing to do is celebrate Christmas with, the, with joy because of the hope we have to come. It's kind of reiterating that it's something I said before. And it does actually speak to what Emma was saying earlier, that you absolutely have permission to feel loss. You absolutely have permission to feel grief. You absolutely have permission to feel the things that naturally will come at this time of year. The good thing about joy is joy doesn't mean happiness. Joy doesn't mean that you are rainbows and butterflies and sprinkles. Joy can be experienced without the sprinkles. Joy can be experienced because it comes from a deeper place. doesn't mean you're bouncing off the walls. Now, in theory, joy generally comes from a positive disposition, but it's not necessarily rooted in the fact that you're feeling a sense of joy and happiness and, and bouncing off the walls. It's built upon something. And Christmas can always be experienced with joy because of the hope that we have to come. Because we know that Jesus will return. Because we know that things will be made right. Because we know that the way things are now is not the way that they will always be. That there will come a day when brokenness will be taken away, that the thorns and thistles will not reign, where sorrow is no more. And so however you might find yourself coming to Christmas this year, don't try and be happy. Don't fabricate happiness. But reflect on the joy that can be had because of the promise of Jesus' return. 
And that can bring a whole new perspective to your experience of Christmas. And then finally, and again, it all ties together and it's all connected. The first Christmas was a culmination of many promises. There were so many things in the Old Testament that prophesied that the Savior would come, that the King would come. And then when he did, it was a demonstration that you can have confidence in the promises of Jesus. And so as you celebrate Jesus the baby, as you celebrate what that means and the answers that it brought and, and the promises that it fulfilled, it should remind you that you can have confidence that you can trust in the promised return. That there are definitely times, and I think it's been since about, I don't know, three days after Jesus died, uh, and also after he rose again and ascended to be with God, that people have been asking the question, so when are you coming back? Is it today? Is it tomorrow? Surely it's got to be soon. Surely it's got to be soon. Surely it's got to be soon. And the longer it goes, the more and more the questions become, is he coming? But is he, is he actually going to come? Is he actually going to return? And so as you celebrate Christmas, you can be reminded, just as those promises were fulfilled, so will be his promised return. And so celebrate Christmas in light of that. Celebrate Christmas in light of the hope of the promise of what is to come. Joy to the world can absolutely be sung as a Christmas carol. It can absolutely be sung with joy about celebration of Jesus' first coming. But it takes on a whole new meaning and depth when you tie to it its original purpose of looking forward with hope to Jesus' return. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can experience joy no matter what our circumstances might be. I, I pray that this Christmas you'd help each of us to come to Christmas with joy. Thank you for your promised return. We, we long for it. We look forward to it. In the meantime, Lord, I pray you would help us to be about what you called us to be about. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.